We have, we are, this is our last week. We've been working through the book of Philippians. Uh, We're here at the end. Next week, we're going to launch into an introduction. We're going to be walking through the Bible together uh, for over a year, looking at God's one big story and how it all fits together. But today, as we wrap up this series in Philippians, we're going to look at what is probably the most famous verse in the book, and and one of the most well-known verses in all of the Bible. And yet, it is also one of the most misunderstood and therefore one of the most incorrectly used verses in all the Bible. I'm talking about this one right here. There's the suspense. There it is. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Look at that kid. He's ready to do anything that God asks him to do. Now, when we hear this verse, you often see this one. This is a favorite one for athletes. You see it plastered on posters all over the place. That, that God, you know, maybe it's you're climbing a mountain, or you see athletes riding it on their tennis shoes, or on the little football reflector things on their faces, and in and, and the gym. And it's this idea that God gives me the strength through Jesus to do extreme sports right? That God just gives me the power to pass that test I didn't study for, okay? To get that job. I'll get this job. I can do all things through Christ. And, or maybe, you know, it's, it's after the service, uh, somebody comes up to me, okay? Uh, Blair comes up and says, Justin, I bet you can't lift this piano by yourself. I say, oh, Blair, Philippians 4.13, man. I can do all things, and so I come over here, and that's my mantra. I can do all things. I can, and then I just kind of go Hulk and just, rah, you know, instead of, now, if I try to lift it and I can't, and instead of lifting the piano, I have an aneurysm, okay, does that mean that I actually can't do all things through Christ? Did Christ fail me? Is that verse a lie? What does it cover? And what we're going to see this morning is that if we read this verse in the context in which Paul originally wrote it, we're going to see that what he's saying is vastly different. So if you would actually, would you stand with me? We're actually going to read this, these first four verses together. So we're going to stand up. And as we read the word together to show it the honor that it's due, um, I want us to read these first four verses here in verses 10 through 13. And I want you, as we're reading it, to be sleuthing, okay? As we're reading, you go, what is the context here? What is Paul talking about? So then when we get to verse 13, what is he saying versus what is he not saying? So let's read it together, okay? This is the NIV. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. You can have a seat. So, So as we're reading that, what is the context? What did you see? What is Paul talking about? He says, I've learned the secret in any situation. Whether I have a lot or I have a little, I've learned the secret of how to be content. The context is contentment. Okay, that's what we're talking. 
little kitties, they just kill. They always, the, the, that's the feedback I've been getting, more kitties. So the, it, the contentment, I'll tell you what, it is such an unbelievably um, urgent, important message for our culture today, um, as much as any culture ever. We live in a time where we've never had so much information, we've never had so much to be entertained by, um, we've never been able, we can watch, read, or listen to anything we want, whenever we want. I remember as a kid, okay, I'm getting old. When I was a kid, um, we, remember, we used to have these things called VHS tapes, okay? You used to watch videos, and, and what happened was we had this little green cabinet in the, in the family room, and it had probably 30, 40 videotapes, and you would watch. The only things you could really watch other than what was on television was what you had in that cabinet, I remember we had family from outside. They would send us like a big, we remember they recorded hours of the Mork and Mindy show. So we are watching, you know, you had, and you had all the lines memorized, you know. I mean, I probably watched The Little Mermaid until the tape wore out, okay? And you couldn't watch it any longer. And there was a time when cartoons only came out, you could only watch them in the mornings, in the afternoon for two hours after school, and on Saturdays. And that was it. Now, some of you guys are like, I remember when we didn't have cartoons at all. Uh, You're old. Deal with it. So, um, but now, today, we've got 24-7 cartoon channels and, like, specific, like, this one's, like, only little ponies. Like, cartoon ponies all the time on this channel. And this one's for seven and eighth months old children. It's, like, geared toward their cognitive abilities. If you watch this channel, your baby will be a genius, you know. And we have these, like, tailor-made channels all the time, not including, we're not even talking about the Internet and YouTube and all of the, I mean, you can watch anything you want whenever you want. And so if someone suggests, has the audacity to say, let's watch that thing again, are you insane? Why would we watch something twice? We have so much more we could watch. And and the question is, are we now content? Because we have all of this at our disposal. And I'd say that we are no more content than when it was just me and Ariel, right? We just want more, and we want more, and we want more. Charles Swindoll, he, he cited this poem, and I thought, man, this, this one was, this was convicting as I read through it. He says, it was spring, but it was summer I wanted, the warm days and the great outdoors. It was summer, but it was fall I wanted, the colorful leaves and the cool, dry air. Alaskans were like, nah, not so much. It was fall, but it was winter I wanted. The beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday season. It was winter, but it was spring I wanted. The warmth and the blossoming of nature. I was a child, but it was adulthood I wanted. The freedom and respect. I was 20, but it was 30 I wanted. To be mature and sophisticated. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was middle-aged, but I, it was 20 I wanted, the youth and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was middle age I wanted, the presence of mind without limitations. My life was over, and I never got what I wanted. You see, we always have the idea that the grass, the proverbial grass on the other side is greener. And, and we struggle with this idea of contentment. We want more. We want more. We want what we currently don't have. Single people just want to be married, 
right? That'll fix all my problems. Married people just want to be single, right? That's another sermon. Uh, But we, we are not content. We are not. And and remember, we think about, we're going to go back to Philippians here, I promise. Um, Paul, when he wrote this letter, remember we said at the beginning that this letter is, is basically a giant thank you note to the Philippians. Um, because when Paul, remember, he's in prison, he's writing this under house arrest in Rome, and the church sends Epaphroditus to him to comfort him and to bring him a gift. It's probably financial, it's at least financial, we don't know exactly what they sent to him. And he is closing out his letter by just simply saying thank you. Thank you for what you gave to me. But typical Paul style, he's going to speak to something much more profound than just simply saying thank you. And we're going to talk about the specific area of contentment and what we're going to see, the bottom line, the bottom line of what Paul wants to communicate to us today is that Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. He's sufficient. And we're going to see that he's enough for both the one who receives gifts and, and the one who gives gifts. So, that, so that's where we're going as we round out this chapter. Uh, number one, Jesus is enough for the receiver. Okay, babies and kittens, that's all you need. Uh, verse 11, Paul says this, I am not saying this because I am in need. So he's, he's thanking them for the gift. We read that in verse 10. You know, you gave to me. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. So Paul says, thank you for giving me this gift, but I'm not saying thank you because I I got the money or I got the stuff because I don't need money, I don't need stuff to be happy, to be satisfied, to be joyful. He says, I've learned to be content. And this word learned, it's it's the Greek phrase, it implied to learn by experience. Okay? To learn by experience. Um, It's not learning a new fact. It's seeing that truth played out in your life. Now, have you ever had this happen to you before? You experience something, and, and and it seems so obvious, but you come up to, you know, whoever, and you say, you guys, you won't believe it. I just learned God is faithful, right? And, and they're looking at you like, yeah, duh. Like, we know that. We went to Sunday school. We've, we've been through the training. We know that God is faithful. We've always known that. But you go, you don't, ex- you don't understand. I experienced his faithfulness in my life. And there's a big difference between being able to see God play out a truth in your life versus just being able to answer the question on a Jesus quiz. God is faithful, true or false? Well, yeah, true. But to see his faithfulness in our lives displayed, that's learning something by experience. And Paul is saying, yeah, I've always known Jesus is enough on paper. I've always known that. But now I've experienced it and it's changed me. It's changed me. And what does learning something imply? What is it? He says, I've learned to be content. It implies that it's not natural, right? We did not pop out of the womb content, right? Like the baby comes out that first day and is just like, thank you, mom and dad. I trust that there are going to be times when I don't see your provision, but I know that you're never going to leave me, never going to forsake me. No, the baby comes out whining, right? Feed me, change me, wipe me. You know, it's just this like constant, I don't trust you. And then just this, the crying just reminds you that we did not have to, to be taught to be discontent. You do not have to teach your children, right, to want more. 
They, 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 that's very natural for them to, 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 to come to. And the word, the word here, uh, content, it means, in the Greek, it meant contained. So the idea is, I have everything I need right here. Right here. It means to be satisfied or, or to be sufficient. In other words, what you have is enough. It's enough. Now, we'll ask you out of the gates today, this morning. Are you content? Are you satisfied with what you have? Are you content with your stuff? Do you have enough stuff? Or do you need more stuff to make you happy? Are you content with your finances? Or where your bank account level currently is? Are you content with where you live? The house, the location? Are you content with your marriage? Are you content with your children? Are you content with your friends that you have? Are you content with your appearance? Now, now we need to point out here, contentment is not complacency. It's not the whatever, okay? It's not, I don't care, I'm good. It's not apathy. And it's not saying that we don't want to grow, that we don't want to change. It's saying, what God has given me, am I satisfied with that? Or do I need more? Do I need better? Do I need spring when it's summer and to be 20 when I'm 30 to be happy? Or am I content with what God has given me today? And in verse 12, what he, Paul says, he goes, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Paul is going to give us the secret, the secret of what it means and how to be content in every situation. If there's anyone who's been in every situation, it's Paul. He goes, I've been in need. You go back and you read 2 Corinthians, this poor dude, he has been through the ringer. Paul has been stoned. He has been beaten. He's been physically dragged out of cities. He spent long periods of time where he had no food. He had no water. He has five times, he says, he's received 39 lashes. 40 kills you. So they said, just whatever kills Paul, and then just back it off one lash. Three times he's been shipwrecked. I mean, what are even the odds of that happening? This poor guy, three times he's shipwrecked. One of those times, he is, spends 24 hours on the open sea. It, it, it's insane. He has been robbed. He's been lied to. He's been left naked. He's been exhausted. Paul knows what it's like to have it rough. But he also knows the other side. He says, I know what it's like to be in plenty. Um, Paul, in Acts 16, it says, you know, when he first started the church at Philippi, this church that he's writing to here, he spends a significant amount of time with this woman named Lydia uh, at her house. And Lydia is very wealthy, some kind of CEO-level type job, and she's got it made. So when Paul is living at Lydia's house, Paul's got it made in the shade, okay? He's waking up. He's got one of those, like, bathrobes. Uh, you can go only get at the hotels that I can't afford, and he's got the cucumbers in his eyes with the weird green stuff on his face, you know, people are feeding him grapes, Paul's got a personal chef, would you like, would you like some filet mignon, you know, and, and so Paul is, lit. he says, whatever the situation, I, I've had it all, and I've had nothing, and I've learned, I've learned what it means to be content in both situations, and honestly, Honestly, the times of plenty 
are harder. And, and here's what I mean. Warren Wearsby said it this way. Prosperity. Prosperity has done more damage to believers than adversity. Prosperity has done more damage to believers than adversity. It's no coincidence that around the world today, some of the most godless nations are also the most wealthy. And the poorest and the most persecuted are the places where the gospel is growing the fastest. And, and, and you might say, uh, well, okay, then uh, yes, Jesus, uh, I'll, uh, make me learn contentment with the plenty option, right? I like that. Just give me thousands of dollars. I will persevere for Jesus. Here I am. Send me. Uh, we'll go that route. But we need to be careful. We need to be careful because in, in Luke 18, you remember the story of the rich young ruler. Jesus comes to this man, and the man comes to Jesus, and he goes, what do I need to do to be saved? He says, you need to follow the law. Man goes, I've done that ever since I was a kid. So then he goes, okay. And he kind of tests him. He's going to expose whether or not he's really been keeping the law. And Jesus says, he goes, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Yeah, I know. I wouldn't want to do it either. Then, then come follow me. Okay? That's what he says. Now here's the man's response. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. So why? Why is it so hard when we are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God? What is the hang-up there? Jesus kind of spoke to this himself. It's a convicting passage when he's speaking to the seven churches in, in Revelation 3. Speaking to one of the churches, and this is what he says to the people there. He goes, you say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. See, what happens is when we're rich, and make no mistake, we in America are richer than most of the other countries, most of the other peoples living on the world today and in the course of human history. So even though some of us in here come from various levels of, 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 uh, of affluence, for the most part, we are a people who know prosperity more than adversity when it comes to material wealth. And what he's saying is when we have, we, we delude ourselves that we believe that we have everything we need. I can control uh, my circumstances from week to week. I can build security into my 401k and my pension, and I'm good to go. I don't need God. I don't need Jesus. But, but the person who's living day to day doesn't know where their next scrap of food's going to come from. Doesn't know if the water that they're drinking is safe. They're very acutely aware of their need for something outside of themselves. And it's very difficult for the rich to give up what they have and to surrender it all and realize that all we have to cling to for salvation in this life and next is Jesus. It's very, very hard. He says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And Paul says, whether I'm in the open water at sea, I'm doing 
backstrokes in the satin sheets at Lydia's. I've learned what it means to not lose focus. That I still need Jesus. And I'm still doing the job that Jesus has given me to do. I stay on track. So what's Paul's secret? How do we stay content in every situation? Well, he tells us in verse 13. He goes, I can do all this, or I can do all things, other translations say, through him who gives me strength. He goes, this is the secret. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Now, here in context, what we see is Paul isn't saying Jesus gives me the power to pick up a piano. That's not the context. He's not saying he just gives me the power to do anything in this world. He's saying in context, Jesus gives me the strength to make it through any situation. To endure both the peaks and the valleys. That Jesus is enough. That his strength in me is enough to be content whether I am filthy rich or I have not a penny to my name. J.B. Phillips, his translation says, I am ready for anything through the strength of the one who lives within me. I'm ready for anything. Bring it, Lord. Whatever the circumstance is, I have you and that's enough. The Living Bible says, I can do everything God asks me to do with the help of Christ who gives me the strength and power. You see, so it's whatever God, whatever whatever he puts on our plate, he says, I'm going to give you the strength to get through it, to endure it. And if there's any quote, and we do have the, in, in your, uh, in your, bulletin there's the the outline here and then this quotes in there you could chew on this all week charles kelly said it this way christian contentment okay so for contentment for for someone who, who's following jesus it is the god-given ability to be satisfied with the loving provision of god in any and every situation isn't that amazing so first of all he says it's the god-given ability it's not our ability god gives us this ability to be satisfied to be content with the loving provision of God. So whatever God has given me in any and every situation, that's enough. So if he gives me, you know, this huge raise at work, I stumble into this great job, and, I'm, and I've got a lot of money, I can say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for giving that to me. And then if he takes it all away, and, and, and we're going week to week, and we're living off, you know, the great value brand food, right? We say, you're enough. You're enough. I'm satisfied with what you've given me today. You picture a tree. You ask yourself, how, does these, how do these trees survive all year round, whether it's freezing winters, blazing summers, windstorms, rainstorms, whatever it is, and this tree is just hanging out, just doing its thing, it's not going anywhere. What, what gives that tree the strength to, to remain, to endure? And we know the most important part of the tree is, is the part we can't see, right? It's the roots. And if it's got strong roots, if it's tapped into the right source, It has strength to endure every season of life. And in the same way, where our roots are sourced is going to determine our ability to endure. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, not that we are sufficient. That's the same word as the word that we see for contentment in in this chapter, in chapter 4. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. Our sufficiency is from God. He says a similar thing a few chapters later, one of the most beautiful verses in all of Scripture. He says, but he said to me, God's talking to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is enough. 
Right? You can be content with the good things that I've given you that you don't deserve. That's grace. For my power, and this is so profound, is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. This is the humility that Paul's been talking about all through Philippians, to recognize I am weak, but it's when I'm weak and I quit trying to put my roots into self and I put them into Christ that I find him being strong and that the provision, the daily provision of God's grace in my life is enough to endure whatever circumstance we're facing. And in a sea of people this big, we have people going through situations that are unimaginable, with trials and pain and sickness and heartache and sin issues. And we say, is Jesus, is his grace enough to sustain me? And here's the key, here's the key. Contentment is not in a place, but it's in a person. Contentment is not in a place, it's not in your circumstances. What needs to change is not your circumstances. It's in a person. It's in Jesus himself. And if our roots are tapped into Jesus, we can endure any season. It's like, remember when you're, you know, if you're young and you're in love, and you're like, all I need is you, babe. Like, I've got you, and we can go through anything. I don't care if we're living in a penthouse, you know, in New York City, or if we're living in a rundown apartment, we're feeding each other off-brand macaroni and cheese. Like, uh, you're all that I need. And if I've got you, we're good, right? That's how I hear it goes um, at the beginning. So... (laughs) If we, are, if we say, Jesus, all I need is you, Jesus. I'm good. I don't care what circumstance I'm in. All I need is you. We become these firmly rooted trees. But if not, if not, as a Bible uh, teacher uh, portrayed to me once uh, at, at Bible school, he said, our lives become like yo-yos. So instead of being firmly planted, unmovable, we become like yo-yos. And our attitudes, our, our joy... Our contentment, it goes up and down based on our circumstances. Now, see which ones you can relate to here. He said we go up and down with the stock market. Okay. We go up and down depending on our spouse's acceptance or rejection of us. We go up and down depending on whether or not people are nice to us. Up and down depending on whether or not life is going well. Up and down depending on how we feel today, our emotions up and down depending on whether or not our favorite team won or lost. It's too convicting for me. Let's keep moving. Up and down depending on whether or not our car starts in the morning or how traffic was coming into work. We'll have a road rage anonymous after the service. Up and down depending on whether or not your diet is working. Up and down depending on whether or not a project is going easier or harder than expected. Up and down depending on the boss's mood or a coworker's actions. Up and down depending on political situations for or against our positions or candidates. Hashtag too soon, right? Are we trees or are we yo-yos? Fanny Crosby, the old hymn writer, she wrote beautiful hymns. And the one, one of my favorites of hers, it says, take the world, but give me Jesus. And do we believe that? Do our hearts say, he's enough? If I have him, You can take the world, you can give me the world. That doesn't change my contentment. And then the last one, uh, Jesus is enough for the giver. Jesus is enough for the giver. Uh, Paul, the the, the church here at Philippi has always been very generous to Paul and to others. And he notes that here, he notes that in Corinthians. But he says something really interesting here. Verse 17, he goes, Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. Do you hear what he just said? He says, I, 
it's not that I'm desiring your gifts. That's not what makes me excited. That's not what makes me thankful here. I mean, I am appreciative that you gave to me, but I know, he just said, God's going to provide for me. God's enough in any situation. Uh, but the thing that he's so excited about, he says, it's for your sake. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. Now, what does he mean by that? He says, when you gave to me, credit went onto your account. Well, what's he saying? Remember in Galatians 6, Paul speaks to this. He goes, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. And here's why. He says, at just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. See, it's, it's the concept that if we give generously now, there's coming a day when we will be rewarded generously. But it's not here on earth. It's, it's not earthly material possessions. And I, and I don't know exactly what these rewards will be. Scripture's never super clear on this. But one thing I know, earlier in chapter 4 in verse 1, Paul says to the Philippians, he says, you are my joy, you are my crown. And I think that there's going to be this time when we stand before God and the work that we've done on earth, the time, the energy, the possessions that we gave for the sake of other people, to see them come to Jesus, to see them be discipled and grow in their faith. He says there's going to be this time when we stand before God and there's going to be no greater reward than seeing the faces of the lives that we had the opportunity to give to, to love, to pour into. And as we see them standing before their God, worshiping him forever, there is no greater reward. There's no greater reward. And like Paul here, we need to give others an opportunity to serve us and, as well as serving other people. Now, now, at first, this sounds backward. I remember as an elder, in an elder meeting once, we were talking, and Pastor Larry was saying, we were talking about developing a relationship with a sister village in Alaska. And he talked about the importance of providing a two-way street for ministry. He said, yes, we need to give to them and serve them, but we also need to give them opportunity to serve us or to serve other people. And at first, I'm like, Larry, you know, what are you doing? Like, you don't use these people. But what he was showing is the principle that it's better to give than to receive. And if we can give other people an opportunity to serve, we're ultimately adding to their account. And some of you, again, are like, yes, sign me up for that program. I want to learn how to teach others how to give, right? You can mow my lawn, and, you know, you can pay my bills. Here, take my middle child. Like, there's a lot of opportunities here. Um, but the, the giving, the giving blesses, it blesses three different people. First of all, it blesses the one who receives the gift. Paul says in verse 18, I have received full payment, and I have more than enough. I'm amply supplied. So when you give to someone, it does help the person you're giving to, right? They've been, a need has been met. But it also, it doesn't stop there. Giving brings blessing to the one who gives the gift. That's why he said, what I desire is more to be credited to your account. There's a blessing for the one who receives, but there's also a blessing for the one who gives. Now, you might not see this, you know, it's not like you give to somebody, and then immediately someone gives the exact same amount to you. You're like, I'm going to go home and try this. I'm going to give away thousands of dollars just so I can see, you know. The reward's not here, necessarily, but there is a blessing. And then finally, giving brings blessing to God. Verse 18, the gifts you sent, he says, are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. You see, he says, when you give, it's this beautiful act of worship to God. 
And and it says it's a pleasing aroma in God's nostrils. And all of the glory ultimately goes back to God. Why? Nothing I give to someone else was ultimately mine to begin with, right? It all comes from him. As Paul said, all things are from him and through him and to him. So God gets the glory. God gets the thanks ultimately because it's all his to start with. We're just simply freely we've received, and now freely we give. We're we're not giving away anything that wasn't ours in the first place. And all glory goes to the one from whom it all comes. Last verse, and then we'll be done. He says, verse 19, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Or maybe you've heard it, you know, my God shall supply all my needs. This is another verse that can be easily taken out of context. I do think this applies to God meeting all of our needs in all situations. But specifically here, the context, the context is in giving. And he's promising here, he's encouraging those who are giving sacrificially to the Lord's work. He says, don't worry, keep giving, keep pouring out generously, because God is going to supply everything you need to do his work. You see, It's important to distinguish between two things here. God will meet all of our needs, not all of our greeds. This is not prosperity gospel. This does not say you come to Jesus like Santa Claus or a vending machine or a genie, and you say, here's my wish list, and then he just provides everything you need. That's that's not the context, not what Paul is saying here. He doesn't come to Jesus and he'll give you health and wealth and prosperity. Jesus said the opposite. You follow me, you're going to be persecuted. Your life's going to be rough, okay? But it's all going to be worth it. And in 2 Corinthians, he says a very similar thing. Paul says, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in what? Every good work. So here's what Paul's saying. Before the foundation of the world, God knew who you were. He knew what you were going to do. And he gave us these really cool works, these really cool jobs that he's going to have us do. And he says, everything that I've called you to do, I'm going to give you the ability, the resources, the time. Everything I've called you to do, I'm going to do it through you. Everything you need, I will give to you to do the good work. God wants us to be confident in our giving because he is able to meet our every need in the process. And I think a lot of times, if we're honest with ourselves, our reluctance to give is couched in fear and in selfishness. And I'm talking, I'm preaching to myself first and foremost here that oftentimes we say, well, once things settle down financially, right? Once, I mean, it's real busy right now. Have you ever met somebody who's not, like, they're like, no, I'm not busy. This is actually a really just chill time for me. I have nothing going on. No, everyone's like, it's so busy. And we are busy. But if we just wait until it's convenient, is that what we're being called to here? Hudson Taylor said, when God's work is done God's way for God's glory, it will not lack for God's supply. So so here's the bottom line. What's God called you to do? And whatever it is that he's called you to do, we can't come with the excuses, well, I don't have time, God. I don't have the money right now, God. I guarantee you that if he's called you to do something and you give generously to it, he will meet your every need. He's promised it in his word. That's why I say that. It's not an empty promise. It's God's promise. So let's, let's apply this. First of all, Jesus is enough for the receiver. How do I know if I believe that? How do I know if I believe that he's enough for me when it comes to getting what I need? 
Here's the question to ask yourself. Am I content? Am I content? Have I learned the secret? Am I a tree firmly rooted or am I a yo-yo that's going up and down with my circumstances? And here's a good way to test it. You open your palm and you think of God in the way that he gives to us. And he puts things in and he takes things out. And when God goes to take something back out of your life, do you clench onto it? No, God, I need that. I need that. Nope, not right now. Do we cling to it? Do we grasp? Do we need that thing? Or do we, like Job, say, you give and you take away, blessed be your name. And when you give these really cool things to me, I'm thankful for them. And when you take them away, I'm still thankful because even though my palm seems empty, I'm in the middle of yours. And you're all I need. Number two, Jesus is enough for the giver. And the question we want to ask ourselves, do we we believe this? Do we believe that he's enough when I'm called to give? Do I believe that he's enough? He's all I need. Ask ourselves this question. Do I give generously? Do I give generously? This isn't about, did you meet your 10% quotient? Quota? Quota. Did, Did I give as much as my neighbor? Okay, this is not comparison game. This is, am I giving? God loves a cheerful giver. And the only way that the first question, the second answer is going to be, uh, question is going to be answered affirmatively is if the first answer is, question is answered affirmatively. That wasn't clear at all. (laughs) If I'm content, if I'm content, then I'll give generously. God loves a cheerful giver. That's what Paul says in Corinthians. So where are you investing? And please hear me, we are not just talking about money here. It's easy when we hear this topic to be, oh, okay, I'll give more this week off, you know, in the offering plate, Justin, back off. We're called to give our whole lives. <laughs> and that's a much bigger calling than just a 10% of your net gross. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I must be hungry. Um, we're talking about time and talent and treasure. Are you giving of your time? Are you just, each day, you're just trying to be entertained, trying to do your thing, trying to, you know, meet your own needs? Or are you giving of your time generously for other people in your life? Are we giving of our, our, our talents, our, our passions, our abilities, our God-given gifts? Are we using those for the sake of other people to see them come to Jesus and grow in Jesus? And then are we giving of our, our treasures? Yes, our money, but our resources, our skills. Is our mindset on just meeting my own needs or is it on the sake of others? Are we, are we investing in the here and now? Or are we investing for that day when we stand before him and hear, well done, good and faithful servant, and see the sea of people that we generously gave to and the reward of seeing them know their God for the rest of eternity? Does your heart say, take the world and give me Jesus? Or does it say, I need the world and you can have Jesus? I can do all things. I can be content in every situation through Jesus. Father, we have a long way to go. We have a long way to go. We need to learn by experience that you're enough. And God, I just want to say thank you for being so patient with us. Each of us in this room, we we struggle in different areas to different degrees, but you made each one of us. You've numbered the hairs on our head. You know exactly what we need. And I thank you, God, for being so gentle with us that each day you're growing us you're showing us something new. You need, you need to change this. You need to repent of this. This is how I'm going to help you do it. Everything I've asked you to do, I'm going to supply. You are so faithful. You are enough. You've given us your son. He is life. He is hope. He is salvation. He is truth. He is comfort. He is intimacy. He is everything we could ever need. You've given to us beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. 
And I pray, Lord, that we would be a people who would believe and walk in, learn by experience that Jesus is enough. And out of the overflow of our hearts, that we would give generously, just as you generously gave to us. We love you. We worship you. May these songs be an echo of the thanks that goes to the God. Through his strength, we endure all situations. It's in his name we pray. Amen.